Ladies and gentlemen, my Bobolas, welcome to the Lee Show. Great to be back here with you all. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to put this out as a bonus episode or as a regular episode. I have some good stuff to cover today. Lots to cover. We're going to cover serious stuff. Ukraine, inflation, COVID, uh, the, the, the truckers, Whoopi Goldberg, San Francisco public schools. Lots of good stuff to cover. Uh, sitting here eating a yogurt, eating a protein bar. Uh, I think these are healthy things to eat, right? Like a yogurt is, it's a high protein thing, although they, it's high protein, but they put a lot of uh, uh, sugar in some of these. You got to get the plain Greek yogurt. If you get the, like the Chobani ones where they put the fruit in, you're, you're really just, I mean, it's like candy with a little bit of yogurt attached to it it's it's not so healthy protein bars i'm i like these uh these think high protein bars cookies and cream flavor they're pretty good uh i don't like stevia i can't have anything with stevia in it because it tastes so gross makes me feel awful and so much of this health food shit is just stevia based right that's how they got rid of uh so they got rid of sugars they put stevia and everything but i i can't handle that um, anyway, so what did we want to cover today? So let's start with Ukraine. Uh, Ukraine, uh, if if you ask the folks in the um, in the intelligence community, which is like a really amazing oxymoron, if you ask the folks in the intelligence community, they would tell you that there's an invasion that's imminent that Russia is about to take over the Ukraine. Uh, it feels to me like a big fake out. I mean, look, the intelligence community in the U.S., we have 17 different intelligence agencies in the U.S. Uh, the right thing to do would be to consolidate them into, I don't know, two, three. Like, how many do we need? 17 is too many. I can tell you that. Uh, if you have not listened to or read my conversation with Edward Lutwak from two weeks ago, you must do that. He is a very thoughtful geopolitical strategist. He's been doing this longer than I've been alive. And he made some really important points when I spoke to him. The first point that he made that really jumped out at me and that I, I haven't seen others talking about this, which sort of surprises me, but his first point is you can't fight a war with only sons. Meaning like when you only have one kid, you're not going to send them off to war in a country with a birth rate as low as Russia's. You cannot go fight a war that it's just I mean, historically, wars have never been fought by first sons, by only sons. They've been fought by third and fourth sons because they seem expendable. The second important point is that you cannot invade a country the size of Ukraine with 130,000 soldiers. Ukraine is enormous. Like, go look at a map. You know, when I, I wrote a piece a few weeks ago about this and I included a map and I recommended that everyone reading it go just go on Google Maps, play around with the map for a while. Ukraine is the largest country in Europe. And I get it that 130,000 soldiers sounds like a lot. But try this mental exercise. 
if someone told you that there were 130,000 troops that were going to take over the entire area from Ohio to Maine, you'd laugh. That's not possible. Do you realize how big that is? It's an enormous area. And that's how big Ukraine is. It has a population of 44 million people. You don't think those 44 million people are going to have something to say about this? You don't think they're going to want to do target practice with Russian officers? There is this constant drumbeat that we need to be at war, right? We got out of Afghanistan, thank God. It's the best thing that Biden has done, probably the only good thing that Biden has done. But now these war fanatics are desperate to see us in another conflict, and they don't care if it's Ukraine or Iran or anywhere else. You, do you think it's a coincidence that the world leaders who are most gung-ho for war, Boris Johnson, Justin Trudeau, Joe Biden, are also the ones who are experiencing the most significant problems in their home countries? And so to distract you, they want a confrontation somewhere on the other side of the world in a place that is purely an abstraction. Most American people, and I mean really most American people, could not pick Ukraine out on a map. They've never met someone from Ukraine, and they don't give a shit about Ukraine. Why do the American people need to care about the territorial integrity of Ukraine? Now, I don't think that Putin is going to invade for all the reasons that I mentioned already. But why is this our problem? And even if you believe that this is a real problem, let it be Europe's problem. This is their backyard. They don't seem to care that much about this. You know that, you know that thing when there's a, a, a tragedy and people say that they are sending thoughts and prayers and you realize that that has no meaning at all, that it's really like a very stupid thing to say, that is what Germany is sending right now. Germany is a client state of Moscow. Do you know Germany is like, wow, don't do war. They sent the Ukrainians 5,000 helmets. That's thoughts and prayers. If you care, if you believe that this is important, you send soldiers, you send weapons, you send money. I don't know. You don't send 5,000 fucking helmets. The Italians aren't doing anything. The French aren't doing anything. Why is this our problem? I just, I don't, I don't get it. But, but anyways, I don't think Putin is going to invade. I don't think he is a gambler. And that is a big risk to take. I don't think he has the tolerance for losses. Remember that when Russia lost just a few soldiers in Chechnya, Putin pulled out in a heartbeat. The mothers complained and Putin pulled out. You know how many soldiers he would lose in an invasion of Ukraine? Meanwhile, you have all these stupid journalists on Twitter who are like, wow, I just arrived in Kiev. I had no idea. It's like such a cool city. Hipster bars and cool gastropubs and shit. By the way, that's one of the worst words ever, gastropub. So I don't think Putin is going to in in invade and, and just, I mean, enough about this. I promised you we would talk about inflation, talk about the economy for a second. 
all my loyal listeners should be sitting pretty right now because I spoon-fed to you months ago that inflation was going up, interest rates were going up, and it was time to sell your stocks. This is what is happening now. I told you there were going to be a number of interest rate increases in 2022. This is happening. The problem is that when interest rates go up, it causes a recession. If interest rates are higher, companies don't borrow money to go invest in stuff, right? They're not going to go build new factories and create new jobs. People don't go borrow money to buy new houses, to, 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 you know, go out on a bender, like whatever. People don't spend money. Companies don't spend money when interest rates go up. That's how we control inflation. We control the rampant spending. We control the money supply. Now, over the last two years, we have cranked the U.S. money supply from about United States M2 money supply. So current money supply in the U.S. is like 16. Okay, here is this is some graph that says it's like $16 trillion. No, here, what do we say? Okay, here, I was right. Money supply in the U.S., M2, is $21 trillion. But in 2018, it was $14 trillion. Okay, let's do another take of this. When COVID started, we started printing money like crazy. Money supply, M2, that's the measure of money supply in the United States, or it's one measure of it, but it's an important one. M2 was somewhere around 14 or $15 trillion at the start of 2020 when COVID started. And then it went vertical and it went from 15 trillion up to 22 trillion. That's where it is now, about 21.6 trillion. So $22 trillion. That's an increase of more than 50% in two years. And yet the, the, the imbeciles, the politicians, the pundits, they were telling you that this was transitory. Remember reading about that, that the inflation would be transitory. And I told you how fucking stupid that was. We have inflation. We printed a bunch of money. It's got to go somewhere. Prices go up. It doesn't make people richer, or it makes some people richer, but it doesn't make most people richer. And so when you have inflation, the Fed needs to raise interest rates. That causes a recession. And when you have the recession, then the Fed goes, oh, no, we got we to gotta cut interest rates. They can't do that because there's inflation. We can't implement fiscal stimulus because we burned all of our firepower. So here we are, probably in the first innings of a recession, of a recession, and we don't have the toolkit to fight it. And so any politician who told you that this was transitory, any, any shit-for-brains op-ed writer who told you this was transitory, they were either stupid or they were lying because it was obvious that it is not. Now, let's talk about why this matters for the stock market. We've talked about this a little bit in the past. For, for the past 20 years, maybe not 20 years, for the past 15 years, the companies that have performed the best 
or the companies whose stocks have performed the best are what we might call growth companies. They're the the new age businesses that have been doing really well. The Amazons and the Googles, the tech companies, the software, that's what's been performing the best. The cool consumer startups. Now, the thing about these companies, when you start a business, you don't always make money in the first year or the second or the third. And lots of these companies had minimal profits. They were investing and they were growing. They were growing their top line and then they were investing everything that they made in order to keep growing. And the idea was you invest now and in the future, you'll make a boatload of profits. But do this simple mental exercise. If someone says you can have a dollar today or a dollar in a year from now, which one would you rather have? You would rather have a dollar today. Why? Because it's a sure thing, because you don't know how much a dollar is going to be worth in a year from now. That's why you demand some interest. In a year from now, you want a few percent more. Sure, that makes sense. So these growth stocks that tell you that their profits are going to be in five years or seven years or 10 years from now, when interest rates are zero, that kind of works because you don't have to discount those future cash flows back at a high discount rate. When inflation goes up and interest rates go up, suddenly those future cash flows don't look so certain. They're not so appealing. And so the multiple that you were willing to pay for those future cash flows declines a lot. And in the meantime, the companies that are earning profits today, and maybe they're not sexy businesses, but they're earning profits today, those cash flows start to look a lot more appealing. And so what happens? People sell their growth stocks and they buy these value stocks. Value stocks have not done well for 15 years. Everyone crowded into growth stocks. So what do you think is going to happen when growth stocks get hit? It is going to create an incredible destruction of paper wealth. All the money that people thought they had in their retirement accounts, everything they thought they saved because they were so rich because their E-Trade account had $5 million in it because they bought some Amazon and held on to it. Those people are fucked. Have you ever considered that over the past two years, in the US and elsewhere, we mortgaged the future as part of our method of dealing with COVID. That was the idea. Print a ton of money. Stimulus, we called it. Print a ton of money. Someone's going to owe that money down the line. You're spending somebody's money. You're spending somebody's wealth. And what was the idea? The idea was that some some elderly folks might die. It's true. And so we created a massive financial burden for Americans. We told people, stay home, don't work. We'll just send you a check. And so we wasted this huge amount of American wealth on stimulus spending. We didn't get anything for it. What was the goal? The goal was keep people inside so that they don't work. Did that work? Did it do anything? I would say no. I would argue that it was pointless and that we overdid it. 
Why did we do this? Did we do this because the people in charge of government are elderly themselves? Was that the reason behind it? And so now we are paying the price. Huge, huge inflation. It is happening. It is real. You need to be prepared for this. I promised you we would talk about COVID. I haven't talked about COVID in a while. I'm reasonably confident that COVID is just done. Like we're just, we're, we're done. It is, it's the hot guy summer coming up and COVID is done. We're done with masks. We should be done with talking about people getting vaccinated, like enough. It's just, it's all a nothing now. Could you imagine, <laughs> look, over the last two months, we had a new, the new strain, Omicron, right? And the vaccines were, were useless. Everybody got it anyways. We were all told that if you have the vaccine, you can't get it. And everybody got it. And they were like, well, if you're boosted, you won't get it. That's not true either. People, everybody got it. Boosted, not boosted. What, what a disgusting term that is, boosted. So what do we, why do we need this? It's a vaccine against the thing that, that was, was months ago, years ago. Could you imagine right now being like, yeah, I'm going to go get the vaccine. What, why? That the bad strain of it that was actually like really killing people, that's gone. And the Omicron followed the same pattern as every trend in America. It started in New York and then it spread to the rest of the flyover states. But we're done with this. Like enough, enough with the rules. It's just enough. Coachella, here, here's, a, here's a good canary in the coal mine. Coachella announced that they won't require masks or negative tests or vaccine passports. It's all done. And everyone seems to have realized this except stupid Justin Trudeau. Justin Trudeau, that, that Canadian lover of wearing blackface, has doubled down on it. Seems pretty bizarre to do that at this point. It, it just doesn't feel like a credible policy. Now, if you're not familiar with what he's done, he's the the prime minister of Canada, and he implemented a policy that says that any truck driver coming from the U.S. into Canada must show proof of a COVID vaccine. And there's lots of truck drivers who go from the U.S. into Canada. We do a ton of, of trade with Canada. It's interesting to note, by the way, that about 90% of these truck drivers are vaccinated. So it's not that they are fighting the idea of getting vaccinated. It's that they don't like having to prove it and they don't like that there is a mandate. I can't blame them. Everyone had these shots and COVID still went on a rampage. What good were the passports? What did they do? What did the masks do? They didn't do jack shit. So how can we justify forcing people to do this? Why is this good policy? Really, I think these vaccines were remarkable innovations at protecting us from the original strain of COVID. I don't know if they lasted only a few months or for longer than that, but they really were remarkable. I, I got the shot. Not only did I get the shot, I did it enthusiastically, and I did it live on the air during my Thursday night live show. I posted one of these, these vile pictures on Instagram. Vaxed and waxed, baby. But I just don't see now, like, how is this a relevant policy? How can you ethically justify this? So these truckers are pissed off and good for them. 
So they parked their, their, their trucks on the bridge, one of the main bridges that connects the U.S. and Canada. They parked their trucks on a bridge in protest. So if you don't like it, clear them off the fucking bridge. Get the police. Come do it. I, don't, I mean, it, it's happened before that people have protested. If you really don't like it, you have the police. If they're breaking a law, then stop them. Good for them for making a point. By the way, what they're doing is pretty calm and orderly. Contrast that with, with, with 2020 when you had these crazy riots and major cities were being set on fire and there was looting. And, and meanwhile, CNN would describe it as mostly peaceful protests. So you have these truckers and they're protesting and Justin Trudeau is trying to make it seem like they are bad people, which I don't see how you can argue that. But he pointed out that one of them had a, a, a Nazi flag, except that doesn't mean that that guy is a Nazi. I mean, how stupid can you be? The, the implication, which is a little overwrought, was that Trudeau is and, and his cronies are Nazis for implementing these dumb rules. They have invoked these wild emergency powers where they can label every one of these protesters a terrorist. They're calling this a, this is amazing, an illegal occupation. They are freezing the bank account of anyone who has sent money to support this. They are ranting about how the economy must not suffer. What is a better term for this sort of policy and rhetoric than fascism? That's what fascism is. And Trudeau has handled this horribly. He's, he's going on about how the protesters are demonstrating anti-Semitism and Islamophobia and anti-black racism and transphobia. What the fuck is he talking about? This is just one more demonstration of incompetence. It is a stupid rule that is being implemented by a stupid person. And enough with this. We're, we're, we're over it. We're on to the next phase. We're on, we're on to the phase where, where we blew all the money and the inflation is kicked in, but people haven't realized we're in a recession. I'm telling you, this is going to get bad. Whoopi Goldberg put her foot in her mouth a few weeks ago. Whoopi is, of course, a very famous actress, and she's one of the hosts of The View. I, I tried watching The View. I don't know how many people listening to this have ever watched it before. It, it's really, it's total dreck. It is uh, just people spouting off about stuff they don't know anything about. I mean, and that's fine. There's clearly a market for it, and some people want to watch it. Uh, Whoopi on the show a few weeks ago tried to go off about how the Holocaust was not about race because Jews are white and Nazis were white. And I get what she was trying to say. She, I think, means that when she looks at a Jew as she knows it, they present as white to her. She's saying that if you looked at photographs of the Jews that she's met, which, you know, I guess what? That's the Ashkenazi Jews who are, you know, running the, the Hollywood firms that she's talking about. They look white. And Andrew Sullivan had an interesting point about this. He said, I'm going to read a quote from him. He said, quote, 
That's precisely why her comments on The View about anti-Semitism and the Holocaust are so interesting. They expose some aspect of anti-whiteness and anti-racism as these critical race theory ideas have trickled down into the public consciousness, and also a deep, long-standing sense among some African Americans that Jews in America are not usually the oppressed, but often the oppressor. These are things no one wants to explore very much because it's complicated, fraught, and, well, who needs the grief? And he's right. This, the, these terms of anti-racism and anti-whiteness, they, they don't mean anything anymore. This is why you have these various media pundits who describe everything in terms of white supremacy. When Hispanics and black people vote for Trump, it's just multiracial whiteness. What the fuck does that mean? The term white supremacy has been co-opted in a way that has rendered it meaningless. And of course, this analysis assumes that other races are just being white when they are racist. If you're Chinese and you don't like a black person, that's white supremacy. Funny trick, that one. Now, Whoopi is, of course, making a number of mistakes here in this very poorly thought out analysis of hers. So what's the first? The, the, first, the first obvious one is that there are many Jews who do not look like white people. I suppose Whoopi's never been to Israel. I suppose she is ignoring all of the Sephardic Jews who come from Morocco and Iraq and Syria. You would be hard-pressed to tell a Palestinian apart from a Persian Jew, other than the Persian Jew is in the white BMW. They're both really hairy. The second big mistake that Whoopi is making is that she failed to brush up on her knowledge of the Holocaust. The Nazis saw the Jews as an inferior race. The Nazis classified Poles and Jews and Italians and Irish all as different races, even if to most people they code as white. These races were all inferior to the Aryan race from the Nordic countries and from Germany, and, and whether it was based on the shape of our skulls or the temperature of our blood or any other pseudoscientific nonsense, there was a genuine belief that these are all different races. And one of the purposes of the Holocaust was to exterminate these inferior races, to establish the Aryan race as the sole and dominant force. Now, the third big mistake that Whoopi made is that she did not consult my great-grandfather's immigration papers. But I have, and I'm including them on the substack so that you can see them, so you don't make the same mistake that Whoopi made. On Max Bleschner's Declaration of Intention to Immigrate to the U.S., his race is listed as Hebrew. I'm looking at this form right now. He came through Ellis Island. Let's see, what's the date on this? It is... Uh, September 18th, 1938. It says, I emigrated to the United States of America from Rotterdam, Holland. Uh, my last foreign residence was Konigshofen, Germany. He was five feet one, 130 pounds. Well, he was a little fella. I don't think I realized that. But under race, it says Hebrew. 
He isn't listed as Caucasian or white. This is how people were classified for a very long time. So in the United States, let's see something here. In the United States, uh, when did they stop asking? Here we go. So in 1943, Hebrew was dropped from the list of so-called races. Uh, this is according to, here's a paper, The Race Question in American Immigration Statistics by Hans Zeisel. Yeah, here we go. The list underwent only minor changes until 1937 when the Mexicans were stricken from it. In 1943, the Hebrews were removed. This book was written in 1949. It's an interesting... Uh, you ever notice that they, they put an article in for things that we don't use articles for anymore, like the Mexicans and the Hebrews? There's certain other things like that, like uh, a Grand Central Station. If you just put an article in and you call it the Grand Central Station, Station. It's the big central station. I mean, it sort of makes sense. You don't really think about it without the article there, though. Anyways, Whoopi Goldberg is back at it on The View. I'm sure it'll be stimulating for everyone to watch. But in the meantime, don't make the same mistake she did. It is about damn time, and San Francisco has done the right thing. Finally. I've spoken a lot on this show about how off the rails California has gone. And San Francisco and Los Angeles, I mean, they, they're leading the charge. The worst of all. San Francisco, it's the district attorney, it's the mayor, it's the school board. They are all incompetent. The school board was really the worst of it. Although... Chase a boot in the district attorney gives them a run for the, for their money. But the, the school board kept public schools closed for the entirety of the last school year, even as the private schools opened, even as public schools elsewhere opened. It was clear that these schools are not super spreaders. So why did they stay closed? Because the teachers' unions were able to run amok. We'll talk about that in a second. The second big thing that the school board did was that they voted to screw up Lowell High School. Lower Lowell High School, if you if you don't know it, if you're not familiar with it, maybe you're from New York City. Lowell is similar to Stuyvesant in New York City. It is an elite public high school and the school board was upset because there were too many Asian kids there. That's not considered diversity, uh, I guess, or, or acceptable. Like, why is it bad if the school is 90% Asian? Who cares? So instead of making Lowell admissions by test, they switched it to a lottery system. And they said, it won't matter. It'll stay the same. How could that be? In the middle of COVID, when, when the schools were still closed, the school board hosted a four-hour-long meeting about changing the names of the schools, and they couldn't even get the content of the meeting right. They were talking about, oh, well, we got to change this one because it's named after this guy who's a bad figure, and then they'd Google him, and they'd look up the wrong person. And they'd say, oh, he's a bad guy. Got to change it. This was mental masturbation 
It is what, what happens when you let a group of people who are incredibly stupid but think they are incredibly smart run amok. And in the meantime, the children suffer the most. And the poorer the children, the more they suffer. The learning loss in San Francisco is significant. I've said before on this show, teachers' unions are one of the gravest threats to America. They represent teachers, but they do not represent families and students. They are not there to make sure your child gets a good education. They are there to make sure that the teachers get the most amount of pay the most amount of job stability, that we create the most amount of teaching jobs for the least amount of work. They are working against the interests of you as a taxpayer and your child as a learner. I've talked a little in the past about when I read Atlas Shrugged in high school, and I went off the deep end after I did that. I was spouting all kinds of Ayn Rand gibberish. I, look, I, I hadn't been exposed to any other ideas. I didn't know how to dissect her philosophy. I didn't know how to understand where the weaknesses lie. And so to me, it was the gospel. So if, if you're listening to this and you went to choke with me, I want to apologize if you had to listen to me ranting about that nonsense. If you read the stupid stuff that I wrote, I apologize. Now, the premise of Atlas Shrugged is that you have these sort of leftist, progressive stupids run amok. Ayn Rand, of course, had escaped communism in Russia, and so she represented this, this uh, um, collective blob as the march towards communism. And so these leftists had run amok in the book, and, and they know that they're inferior, but what they want to do is they want to drag everyone else down to their level. They want to drag down the strongest performers in society. They want equality of outcome, not equality of opportunity, by pulling everyone down to their level. And they're in control of the government, so they can do it. They can set the rules to do that. And meanwhile, the strong and the smart are trying to create businesses and art, and they can't do that because they are being dragged down by the burden of the imbeciles. So eventually, they go on strike. They say, fuck it, and they go start their own hidden country that where no one can bother them, and they leave the idiots to just burn. And you know, I, I saw someone tweeted this week that the heroes in Atlas Shrugged are not real, but the villains are. And I think that is true. I think the idiots who are ranting about how we need to have more equity. These are the villains. Now, there are few heroes. We, we, there's a handful of people who are so exceptional that they can create wealth and value out of thin air. Elon Musk is an easy you know, or, or, or obvious one to point to. There are some who can do this. And it's always fascinating to think about this sort of great man theory where there's someone who is just so talented or unique that they can create value against the odds. I, I think it exists in politics, right? We're, we're, we're quarreling with Vladimir Putin. He's become this very successful, powerful dictator through force of will and charisma, right? Sometimes there are people who just have that much charisma that they can create power for themselves. It's not 
physical strength that makes them strong. I think that tweet is right, though. I think the villains are real, and I think we need to do a better job of restraining the stupids. It's a major obstacle for the U.S. So what did San Francisco do this week? They had a recall election, and they voted to recall three of the morons on the school board. It's about damn time. Political activism can work. When people are doing a bad job, vote them out. Pay more attention to who you vote in in the first place. It matters. Politicians matter at the local level, at every level. The the technocrats, they all matter. They make a difference. And so in the, the most leftist city in the country, they still voted out the leftist idiots. That is encouraging to me. It gives me hope. There's still lots of work to do, but it gives me hope. Thanks for listening today. Remember, please become a paid subscriber. This project depends on you. And I do my best to create something of value for you multiple times a week. So please become a paid subscriber. LeeBressler.substack.com slash subscribe, or you can just click the link in the show notes. It's very easy. I really appreciate your support. I'll be back with more soon. 